0: Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything. So this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood, for good.
1: Okay, well, my name is McKenna, and my favorite moment of every day is starting my morning. I love my mornings, and I really try to protect them. I love to just start with some silence and intentionality and sit in the sun with a cup of matcha and um, in, enjoying the sunshine. I live in Florida, so it's pretty easy to enjoy the sunshine here. It's sunny <laughs> most days of the year. And um, my husband will usually join me after a little bit and we'll just get some, some nice chat time before we go into our days. Uh, I currently work at a nonprofit that works uh, with people internationally to help them come out of poverty, not just poverty, as in like physical poverty, but spiritual, emotional, uh, physical, financial, and uh, relational poverty. So it's really about holistically coming into a healthy place in your life, um, which is super fun. And I'm super passionate about that. But I'm married, as I shared earlier, and I'm currently about 35 weeks pregnant, which has been such a massive, Um, source of unearthing some pain and an invitation for healing in new ways which has been super fun and challenging but I'm especially grateful for my husband Uh, he's so unlike me in so many ways in the best way Um, he's been so calm and supportive and grounded and he's uh, listened to me hugged me and forgiven me for so much in my life and I'm excited to share a little bit more about me and my story and I hope that in sharing this story I can inspire others to press into themselves and their pain in order to live a more abundant life Uh, and uh, just a little encouragement to just like start us off is you're so much stronger than you think and you can overcome so much more than you think you can. Uh, But yeah, I'll get into a little bit more about me and my story. Um, So I grew up in Orange County, California, and um, my parents were married, and I have one younger sibling, a sister, she's two years younger than me, and we grew up in what felt like an average childhood, right, suburbia, we go to church on Sundays sort of thing, and um, we had a great house, a great dog and everything and everything seemed really normal to me. And honestly, as I grew up, I really didn't feel like I lived, you know, in any sort of weird environment or situation. But when my parents were, uh, when I was six years old, so my parents sat me down and they said, we're going to separate for a little bit. And that was super confusing, right? As a kid who doesn't see any red flags, doesn't know that anything's wrong, per se. And Um, I was pretty thrown off by that. And so my dad ended up moving out and had no idea uh, why, really. (laughs) Um, And so for about a year and a half, my dad lived separately from us, but we would see him here or there. And um, one day he moved back in and I thought, okay, great. We're going to go back to normal, I guess. Right. And... After some time, we went on a family vacation to Hawaii, and I was like, great, okay, things really are going well. We're, we're a unit again. We're flowing together. And about a month after our family vacation, my parents sat us down and said they were getting divorced. So again, super confused, right? Because it's like all these ups and downs, and as a kid, it's just so you don't understand. We didn't see or hear anything. That's going on, right? So I didn't really have an understanding of my situation, my parents' situation, and that left me pretty confused and pretty fearful um, about just life and family and certainty, safety, <laughs> and um, through that experience. I bonded a lot with my sister as we were going back and forth between our, our our parents' houses and experiencing two totally different worlds, right? Like my, my world at my mom's house is totally different than my world at my dad's house. And because, you know, they are carrying different things. So the environments are different. And my dad's side, um, Uh, Which I didn't know at the time, but uh, my dad is generationally through many, many, many lines. There's just been a lot of sexual indiscretion and just a lot of history of sex, different types of sex addictions or different types of habits, um, sexual habits in his family. And On my mom's side, there's a long history of food issues, right? So body image, food control, binge eating. So I have these two totally weird dynamics that I'm bouncing back and forth between. And around this time, when my parents got divorced, I actually stumbled upon pornography. And I actually had my own addiction to pornography. Which went on for years. And it went on. it's it began when I was about eight years old. That's the age when my parents officially got divorced. So super young, getting induced, introduced to this, getting indoctrinated with this really unhealthy view of masculine and feminine energy. Really unhealthy view of relationships, of sex, of commitment or lack thereof, right? <laughs> which is just piling on on my already, young, confused, fearful state of living in this divorce between two worlds life, right? And um, I was addicted to porn until my sophomore year of high school. So it ended up being, you know, um, about eight years. I actually, one day I came to my parents separately and I told them about my addiction and my dad started sobbing. And I didn't know why, right? I didn't, at this time, when I'm 16, I didn't even know why my parents divorced. I didn't know anything that's going on. My dad starts sobbing and he says, I never wanted my problems to become your problems. I, that was the first time that I ever had learned that that was an issue that he had dealt with and that that was a major proponent of why my parents divorced and you know, he had other uh, sexual indiscretions that (laughs) occurred as well. But kind of this weird, I mean, revelation in a sense where I'm grateful to have clarity and understanding. But at the same time, I've been living in this weird state for eight years of not knowing why my parents divorce, not understanding life, relationships, myself, and being addicted to porn on my own, right? So I have these eight years of just this weird in between. And so when I'm 16, a sophomore in high school, I come to this understanding. Um, I have conversations with both my parents about it. And, and kind of, you know, they, they share a little bit more details with me. So I have a little bit more understanding answer my questions. But that's when I really pressed in for healing. So I was young, I was 16. And I was like, I want more for my life. What pressured you to
0: come clean with this like big secret because that can be so scary what was pressing on you that that propelled you to tell
1: your parents I think I just I knew that if I just kept it inside that it wasn't going to change and it was always going to have power over me and I told one of like my trusted friends and I felt so much relief and I just was like, honestly, on a high, I was like, I'm just gonna tell more people. And I was like, I'm gonna tell my parents because I trust them with this information. And it was so relieving, right? It was such, such a relief for me. And such a part of my healing, even though I had kind of cut ties with pornography, by the time I talked to them about it, I really, it, it was a it was freeing for me to admit that I had a had a problem, right? That I did have a problem and that I wasn't in a healthy state. And like, you can only go up from there, but you have to like bring that into the light before you can really get there, right?
0: That's so beautiful. And it, I wonder if it has something to do with your age because when people are in their 30s or 40s, I feel like they hold their secrets even closer to them because they have... They have decades of practice of holding in the secrets, but it's true. There's some sort of quote somewhere that secrets are secrets because you're keeping it to yourself and no one knows. And that liberation of telling someone else is what makes makes a secret no longer a secret. And that's what lightens the burden. And you intuitively
1: knew that at 16 years old. <laughs> Yeah, it was wild. It's it's really wild and I feel like there's definitely areas in my life where I think I encapsulate that still. And then there's areas of my life where I, you know, at this at this age, I'm 25 now, I can feel like, oh, I'm protected about this. And so there's like obviously still working to to have that level of openness and freedom in every area of life. But I, I for some reason even though sex and Pornography is like a very taboo thing in a lot of our society and the way that we talk about it. I, I've always felt really free in that area, at least to verbalize, you know, um, those things. And I, I feel like there's such a need for that, especially with young, young women, young girls, because I think a lot goes on that we don't realize and we don't understand or see. So <clears throat> I, I, I'm grateful for that time and for my experience with that and for my parents' grace and i honor them both for responding to me so well and um you know even though when i shared it it didn't make everything better especially with all this new information i'm getting right all this new information that i'm overwhelmed with about oh my my dad has a history of this this is why my parents divorced, you know, the extent of, uh, of the issues were large. And, and my parents, my, my parents did a lot to try to work through it together. And there was not breakthrough, you know, for them. That was challenging, right? How do you
0: think your brain development was affected by porn? And obviously, the masculine feminine dynamics in porn?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, okay, when I think about this, I think with my story, it's so multifaceted with my view of masculine feminine energy. And I feel like really, I've just come into a place of really embracing my femininity in probably the last nine months to a year and understanding what that means for me and understanding that right, it's a natural flow. I don't have to try to be feminine. I just am, right? <laughs> and um, porn has had a massive effect on that and, and so has divorce and so has my parents dynamic right with with their lives and so i think it's it's hard to pinpoint just how only porn affected me in that area right because of uh, my story has a lot of different layers that affect uh, my, my view of masculine and feminine energy but i i really do think one of the biggest things that it taught me um not in a positive way <laughs> is just that women are supposed to provide what other people want and women don't just get to be themselves express themselves but a woman's role is to be what other people need them to be I think that's the biggest thing that I learned through porn as I reflected and sifted through different beliefs that I formed Um, and also just having a strong judgment against women's bodies and what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to be like or act like, or how we're supposed to dress or what's okay and what's not okay to wear, right? Like like the, just all these different limitations or ideas of what we're supposed to be like or supposed to look like a- at the end of the day for others to make other people comfortable or to please other people or to write what whatever. And so I, I really think that, Stepping into a space where I I got married about four years ago. And when I got married and I still had a lot of junk in my trunk, like I still do, right? But we're, we're working through it. We're, we're on the active healing journey here. And so when I got married and I didn't know how to, what, what feminine energy was to me, how I connected with feminine energy. And I didn't know, you know, what i needed out of masculine energy but i came into a marriage thank the lord i married such a kind gracious gentle but strong man you know i'm very grateful for for that um but i started a lot of these things started coming up because you know you don't realize where you need healing or where you are believing lies or where you're stuck in some weird belief system that you learned from porn or from your parents' divorce until you kind of face those situations in your own life. So getting married was like popping this thing open. It was like, my heart was like screaming at me to like, pay attention. Like, come on. You know, like we need healing here. Like we need, we need truth here. We don't have solid truth here. And so you're not, I'm not operating the best way that i can for myself for others and so getting married uh really definitely brought up a big an interesting view of marriage partnership right sex feminine and and masculine energies mixing commitment right all these things start coming up inside me that i didn't really know what to do with or how to steward and i was like whoa what's going on these areas that i i never felt like I, I knew were there and also things that i thought i had self-control in right Or well, i thought I, i'm good with self-control and then whoa my husband did this it it bothered me and i just lost it like i why are my emotions like so it's like swinging so heavy that doesn't make sense to me it's not logical I thought I, I know it's not logical, right And so these I'm starting to notice these patterns that are centered around you know perfectionism, and providing things for my husband that he that I think he needs right I have to meet what he needs. I have to meet what he needs. That was one of the biggest lies that I was stuck in. It was uh, it's my sole responsibility to meet my husband's needs, right And that's coming from porn coming from the divorce, right? Experiencing that in my own life. And um, I, I ended up starting to see two different counselors who seriously changed my life. Um, we did a ton of inner child work and connecting with truth, right? Coming into to agreement with truth over my life, over my design. And for me, one of the biggest things I had to learn and realize is that pain and these triggers, right? These big responses I'm having is actually an invitation to connect with myself and to provide myself with what I need because I wasn't given that as a kid, right? Or I had a, you know, I used porn as a coping method or I used this to like fill this void in my life when I was a kid. But now I am that I'm, I don't have that, I have to fill it with something else. And so trying to learn how to fill it with healthy, proper things and, and being there for myself. And for me, the biggest thing was not submitting to my feelings, but using them to gather information, right? Like, oh, my, th- okay, I'm having a big response. So there's a there's a big something in my heart that needs me to pay attention to it, that needs me to tend to it and calm it, right? Respond to it. And the biggest thing for me in this was learning how to connect with truth. And for me, in my experience in my life, the the way that I connect with truth is to connect with God. Because I am naturally don't just believe that I'm good enough, right? I naturally don't just think that I deserve to be loved. And I need a belief in a God that tells me those things that I can cling to because I can't find those truths in myself or even in the world, right? In others. It, it's not always just provided for me. So, so that's is my story has really been connecting with God, receiving truth over my life, and then also receiving truth from, uh, you know, other people, Like finding people that have experience that can speak truth over me, finding people that will get behind me, get around me, encourage me in the areas that I need help in. And that has been huge because, you know, when you're a kid and you're, when I was living with my dad, his addiction was consuming for him. And I didn't get what I needed out of a dad, I didn't get what I needed. In that household, I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel taken care of. I I did a. I had a lot of responsibility around the house that an eight year old shouldn't have, right? And for me, I need I needed to find people in my life that would father me, or I needed to find people in my life that would mother me in ways that I didn't have. And they don't have to be people that are. You know, my parents' age, I have one of my mother figures in my life is like seven years older than me, you know, because she provides that wisdom, that guidance that, that I've been through this and I'm, I'm going to be able to talk you through this type of energy and encouragement in, uh, in my life. But really, as I have been processing and thinking through my story and, There's so much more obviously that I didn't share. There's so much that I could share and there's so many more specifics. But what I really want to focus on and hone in on is that we can overcome so much more than what we succumb to, right? These things that happen in our lives, they do not dictate our lives. And They may for a time period while we're we're learning how to understand and how to deal with them, right? But they are not going to drive our destiny. We get to do that, but we have to take charge of our life, right? I had to say, I'm not going to let the pain of my parents' divorce have the final say for my life and for my marriage. I'm not going to have pornography be something that, gets passed on from generation to generation in my family anymore right because generations on my father's side, some sort of addiction in that area I, I had to choose and I had to choose to do the work and I'm continuing to do the work right but because it doesn't happen naturally. I think so many so many people in this in the world they want the quick fix but there isn't a quick fix this kind of stuff. It takes time. It takes attention. And when we talk about loving ourselves, when we talk about choosing to be present with ourselves, when we love others, when we're present with other people, it's usually ours. That's what we have to do with ourselves, right? We have to to choose to be present with ourselves, to invest in ourselves, to listen, and to take the time to heal and, and understand ourselves. And I think that's really the only way that we are going to be able to come out of these different um, darknesses that we're living in, in order to really come into the light. And that is what is important, right? Is coming into the light, living in the light, and, and you don't have to be something or someone to be healed. You just need to be you. And you have to just let yourself unravel, let yourself um, come to the surface because our true self is, is here, but our pain, our, the different, right, darknesses, the generational things that we're born into, they, they try to bring us down, but the true us, the light that's in us is trying to come out. And I think we really just have to spend time embracing that and, and leaning into that because it's. It's not like a light switch. It's not a quick switch. <laughs> it's like one of those ones where you can like fade it from like, you know, dim to all the way bright. And that's how it is with our lives as well. And the different pain, the different challenges I've been through, specifically with my father, I'll, I'll speak to those. Um, and with just the sexual addiction that's in his side of the family um, and, you know, that spreads up generations and out to his siblings and everything it's taken a lot of work to rebuild a a semblance of a relationship because of this that 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 was really hard to hear right as a 16 year old when i heard that and when i understood more about the situation and the severity of it um you know that really affected our relationship and Though he, he received me well in that moment when I shared with him about, about my own addiction, uh, there was still questions in, okay, well, what does this new information mean for your di- dynamic? Because um, there's, you know, like I have to process a lot of pain of your choices and what that meant for my life as a child. Right, because I at the time I didn't have power over my parents' divorce, I didn't have power over their decisions. My, my power has come as I've come into adulthood, and that's when I've taken a hold of my life and the pain. But um, so, go, if we go back a little bit into my story, we're kind of doing a little candy land here, but uh, if we go back into my story, um, you know, when I was about 16 and, and I found that out, so he shared with me. It took me some time to really process where I where I was at with my relationship with him. And I feel like when that opened when that door was opened and I found that out, I started realizing a lot more issues within our relationship. Just because I feel like as a kid, I was in survival mode, going back and forth between my parents' houses. And I just wanted to believe the best about everyone. That's just my, my natural <laughs> inclining, The way that I'm born is I just want to believe the best out of everyone. And so when I, you know, find this information out, I start letting myself realize other areas that he wasn't honoring me as a kid. That Maybe areas where he wasn't um, providing for, you know, us in every way that <laughs> a father's supposed to. And So it brought up a lot of pain in my heart, a lot of, a lot of difficult uh, emotions, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, kind of took a step, we kind of took a a step back in our relationship for a while. And there was maybe, you know, from 16 until about 20, 20 years old, that like four year range, um, I really just had to pause and assess. And we just had a very limited relationship during that time, minimal communication, minimal, you know, seeing each other here or there, staying in touch to a certain level or degree um, without really me being heart invested in it. I decided when I was about 20, 21, that I wanted to talk with my dad about all these different things that I, that he, the different pain that he's caused me, right? So the addiction... Just the the different, the role that I had to be in, in his household because of his addiction consuming him and his choices that he was making and um, how he wasn't honoring us and, and, and those different areas of life. And so my dad and I ended up having a series of four conversations where I basically just told him everything that bothered me, everything that hurt me, everything that he did that made my life really hard as a child. And I was absolutely just like wrecked, like sobbing the whole time I'm saying it because it's so scary to like, verbalize things. So you you verbalize your emotions to that level, especially when you don't know how someone's going to receive it. I was so I knew I wanted to honor my dad. And I knew that honor started in the heart. And I knew I couldn't honor him until I got those things out right? I said, if I don't tell you these things I'm holding against you, I'm never going to be able to come into a normal relationship with you again. So I need to get these things out. I need to process them with you. Unfortunately, (laughs) you're going to have to be the bearer of those, right? Through that, I'm going to be able to come into a place in alignment with honor and love for you. You know, we had, so we had four conver- different separate conversations because there was really like some di- four different main things I wanted to talk about with him. I was so floored by his humility. And every time that I confronted him, he totally just listened, cried with me, and apologized. And I was like so surprised, you know, because when you have that, that negativity, right, when you have all that, that pain, you kind of think somebody's going to like, fight you back on it. And a lot of people do a lot of people don't know how to respond. And I will 100% say that there's people I've, you know, brought things to that that don't respond in that way. But time and time again, my dad has he, he chose to seek to understand me to understand why I felt the way that I felt, what his role was in it, and to own it. Now, you know, he's not perfect. He hasn't been able to change everything about himself, and I don't expect him to. But the fact that he was able to listen, un- understand me, and apologize, right, take ownership, was huge and has been huge for our relationship. And our relationship, it's, it is the best that it's ever been. I'm right. I'm 25 now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: What I hear you saying is, you know, these events in the child, in your childhood, you lost respect for him. And when you came to him and shared your heart and the way he owned it and took radical responsibility, you gained respect back for him. And that's how your relationship can be more solid now. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think that that's kind of the like the thread that i want everyone to hear through this story right is like radical responsibility and like both my dad and i have taken that in in our lives right i took it and i said you know this this addiction is going to be no more in my family and my dad t- is is taking radical responsibility at the same time for his mistakes and for what has caused me to to wind up where i was and so to, it's like together we're renewing this family, this family and this family line and what's going to come for the future for my family. And I have been so lucky to experience that with him and with um, myself. Right. And, and to come into this, this new dynamic of rebuilding this relationship and, and, we are in the best place that we've ever been, and we're gonna be, I hope, in a better place in the future. And something I want to point out to like as well on this topic is when you're rebuilding relationship, when you're rebuilding trust, that it doesn't mean that you don't have boundaries. And I I hesitate to use the word boundaries because I don't really like the way that most people speak about boundaries, because it tends to lean towards boundaries keep people out, but the way that I view boundaries is boundaries protect yourself and allow people in in a healthy way, right? Like I I want to I want to see the positive side of it because I think the word boundaries can kind of sound negative sometimes. <clears throat> and so, though we're you know on this process of rebuilding relationship. Rebuilding our trust, and we're coming. We've come into you know the probably the best we've ever been, which you know we weren't really that great. So saying we're the best we've ever been, that's why I'm saying I'm hoping we keep going in this direction. But that doesn't mean that there isn't still protectors, or that there isn't still ways that I'm honoring myself in my relationship with my dad. Right? There's certain things I won't speak to him about. That I I I this isn't going to be our relationship. Isn't this part of my life? And there's certain things that he doesn't get to experience in my life with me. And there's going to be certain things and, and certain protectors in place for my future children with him, right? Because I really, my biggest priority is maintaining this life in the light, in this healing state, in this freedom from addiction and generational addiction, Um and until my dad's family can come into that freedom with me, <laughs> right, my, like, I can't knowingly solicit myself or my children into those types of environment, right? So it's, it's, there's a balance, there's an ebb and a flow in it. It doesn't have to be all, like, so black and white, and it doesn't have to be all good and all bad, right? I, it can be. I think life is just such a a mixed bag and really embracing that, that my dad and I's relationship is 100% the best that it's ever been. But there are areas of my life that he still doesn't have access to. And that's okay. Right. (laughs) And so, and I think that's the beauty of it. I think that's the beauty of healing is coming into this, coming out of that black and white thinking or that rigid thinking I feel like I lived in rigid thinking for so much of my life, right? It has to be, if it's good, it's all the way good. If it's bad, it's all the way bad. But then what does that mean for the space that's in between? I think so much of what what our society needs, what our our own hearts need, what we all need is just to be okay living in the gray, living in the in-between, and balancing and holding space for both. Um, the good and the bad and the difficult and the joyful and the hope and the disappointment, right? Like we can live in all of it simultaneously and that's something that I really value. And I really want to bring into my future and my, my kid's future. And I'm currently 35 weeks pregnant and (laughs) expecting a little boy. And I am so proud of myself for, the healing that I've gone through and that I'm that I'm continuing to go through. And, you know, I was, I believe we're kind of dealt our parents ceilings. And so I was dealt, you know, my parents ceilings and I've done a lot of groundwork, you know, that was my floor, but now I've done a lot of groundwork to make a, hopefully a pretty big, a pretty big ceiling change for my kids and that, that, that my ceiling would be my kids floors for them. And I have so much faith and so much hope that there's going to be a different reality. There's going to be a different dynamic moving forward with my family, right? With my husband, with me, with our children, we have already cultivated something different than what I was raised in and adding children to the mix. I'm, I think we're only going to see those differences and those places of healing are going to stick out even more.
0: Yeah, I have two questions. You can go either direction. I have a question on, have you and your husband talked about what the conversations in your house are going to look like in regards to sex or porn? That's a long ways away, but it's still, I mean, it's something I think about for my future. And then the other question is mm-hmm. the rewiring of, the sacredness of sex because you were introduced to sex as something wildly different than what it was intended to be
1: from god oh i like both of these questions (laughs) i i i think i'm gonna i think i want to talk about rewiring my brain with sex because this has been one of the my biggest personal breakthroughs which like i shared they, I didn't even realize I had that many issues with sex until you start having sex, right? And so, for me, there was, I had so many walls up. Like, sex was not something that was an expression for me. It was an act, right, and a service. And living like that was not fun not fun for me and i'm sure it wasn't fun for my husband either you know and and um you know internally like i like it was it was something where i was afraid of sex and also needed it at the same time right i'm afraid of the power that it has i'm afraid of i'm afraid of not having sex i'm afraid of having sex but at the same time i need it because it's it's meeting this need in my mind because pornography had taught me so much about how I need to you know perform I need to be there like I need to be what people need and so sex is a great way to meet somebody else's need right and um so I'm caught in this weird in between and I think it, it, it took me a very long time to begin unraveling where I was at with sex and understanding myself within that space and so for me I would, I, I was very, very, very rigid about it. Like, I, in my mind, I would know like the last time that I had, that my husband and I had had sex. And I was like, oh, it's been too long. It's time. Gotta, gotta, you know, mental note, gotta put, gotta go figure that out now. Gotta go put that on the count, on my mental calendar. And that was my mentality with it for so long, which is so sad, right? I think a big part of it too was, for me was being afraid of expressing myself in that way and that expressing myself in that way was bad because I only saw sex in the context of pornography. Right. And for, like you said, from such a young age being inundated with these images, these ideas of what sex is. And, and then, you know, once real, like once I was addicted to pornography and realized what pornography was, Realizing how bad it is, right? Like I, I just naturally associated sex with being bad, and so for me, it was a journey to be able to be okay with myself and expressing my own sexual needs, desires, and my and myself in that space. And I'm so grateful, so, so, so grateful that I have a husband who was patient with me throughout this process because he really carried me through that with grace and was so willing to listen to what was going on inside my head, to listen to um, my fears, my worries, and what's coming up and to be able to help me really come into alignment with truth over my body, over myself over my expression.
0: I really want to bring up my favorite marriage therapist, Dr. Sue Johnson has this, oh, she has a few books, but one is Hold Me Tight. And another is called Love Sense. And in either of those books, she talks about the different types of sex people have. And there's three different types she names. And it says soulless sex, sealed off sex, and connective sex, I think. And soulless sex, is when we use sex to feel needed, wanted, and validated. So a lot of women can be like you, and they're like, okay, it's been nine days without sex, you know, now we need to have sex, because I need to feel desired, I need to feel wanted, or I need to do this check mark that um, we are, we're connected in this way. And it's this It's like this lingering anxiety that then when you have sex, it's like, okay, we are connected. And that's one way. And then sealed off sex can be using sex purely for for a physical act. There is no vulnerability. There's no intimacy. There's like no emotions. It's a purely physical act. And that's how other people use sex. And then obviously the very healthy way that a lot of us aren't taught. (laughs) A lot of our... A lot of our patterns and wounds and traumas from childhood, whether it's just religious programming about our bodies and, and nakedness and sex, you know, a lot of us have a lot of these hangups. And women have a lot of hangups because of being a woman, right? Is providing everyone their needs, like you said, and so women have such a hard time receiving. Women have such a hard, re- they have such a hard time receiving with sex. Can they be centered? Can they be pleasured cent- and centered and receive in sex? So many women cannot. So the third type of sex is connective sex, and that's when it's truly the most vulnerable act. It is true intimacy, and very it's very rare when people really engage in this way because it's scary. It's scary because you're you're fully seen and you fully show yourself in the most intimate way, and that is scary. And a lot of people, a lot of us don't do that. It's a journey to it anyways.
1: For sure, for sure. And I think like like you're saying, I think sometimes too, like on that journey, it's like, okay, today was connective sex. Okay, now, you know, three days later. Okay, ah, I wasn't connected in that. And okay, you know, four days later. Okay, now today I'm connected in it. Oh my goodness. And then oh, I got stressed out, I'm just going to use this as a physical, right? So it's. I think there's a lot of back and forth. And that, at least that's how it was for me on my journey when I was coming out of uh, using sex to feel validated, to feel connected, to feel, to feel needed, you know, and providing that need because that I have a duty to provide. And it's a lot of ups and downs and like almost like, okay, I stepped into it, I stepped out of it, I stepped into it, I stepped out of it before you can really get into a consistent groove of this is my new normal. and this is where this is a space I'm, I'm I'm consistently comfortable in. because you know, a lot of like you're saying, a lot of things come up, a lot of a lot of thoughts and beliefs come up that affect sex. Any Any time that I feel negatively about my body, I, it's gonna affect sex because I believe that like the sex is such a sacred space. And you're so present with yourself, or you're supposed to be, right? Present with yourself, present with your partner, that your fears, your worries are going to come to the surface. And and so that's why another layer of why this healing journey is so important, because in order to be really connected to somebody else, you really have to be connected to yourself. And if you're not, you're just constantly gonna have these. Fears, these beliefs coming up, and I mean that is my story with sex. That is like, there is time and time again where I would be, we, I would be in the middle of it, and I'm thinking about how I shouldn't have eaten something that I ate that day, or I'm thinking about how. I should probably put, I should, I need to, I need to like turn off the lights or I need, I can't be seen right now, right? Like there's all these different fears and these different lies coming up in the middle of it. But as we begin the process of unearthing these, these belief systems that we have, I'm only able to be more present. And so I, when you're more present, you're only going to experience more pleasure too, right? And more connection with your spouse. And so it's just this, this domino effect. And for me, it's all come back. To, it's all had. it's all coming back to overcoming these negative thoughts, overcoming these lies, the pain that I'm experiencing, that's holding me back from myself. And it's whole. And, and that pain is also then holding me away from other people, right? My partner, my friends, my family, my community. And it sex is one of those things where I really feel like, at least for me, I can really tell where I'm at mentally and emotionally when I enter into that space because everything comes up when I start to be present. And so if I haven't been consistent with myself, if I haven't been, you know, like if I'm not in a good emotional mental space, that's where I usually find out if I haven't been paying attention to myself in other ways. And I think that's such, like, like I, I want to put a positive spin on it. That's such a beautiful thing, right? Because, again, these little glimpses of pain or fear or worry or doubt, they're just invitations. Just see it as an invitation to unearth pain, to unearth this darkness or this negativity, and to be able to step into the light in a greater way. Like, that's how we have to see it. If we don't see it that way, we're constantly going to be stuck in these patterns. We're constantly going to be stuck where we're at um, because if we're just doing things to fix ourselves, we are stuck in this massively incorrect mindset that is never going to allow us to actually experience healing because you think that you're just fixing. And until you can just really open yourself up to the idea of the journey of healing and gradually stepping more into healing, more into the light where you're, that's where you're gonna find true freedom and true peace and true acceptance for who you are and where you're at because you know that you can continue to go more and more into the light, right? Yeah,
0: Yeah, I feel like these types of stories will help people if they can't relate to something like porn addiction, a lot of people can relate to sexual issues in families. And... But but if you don't relate... Like, it, to me, it's so powerful to hear someone's real-life story. That's how you gain empathy. That we all are handed shit. And then we all get to transform it to gold if we want. Like, all of our stories are different. And I just... I love the uniqueness of each story because... We just can have more empathy for more people then.
1: 100%. And, like, I think especially when you understand that most of them are negative behaviors, right? Most people's negative behaviors in life it isn't because they're just choosing to be like that. Exactly. Right? Most of them are because most of them are because they have some negative beliefs and these these responses to the pain in their own life that is causing them to be that way. And it's like that's like I've only been able to be I've been able to be graceful with myself. And giving myself grace for my own shortcomings has helped me be able to give more people grace for their shortcomings. Because I'm like, oh, I understand that I do this because of this hurt. And I bet you that that person's doing this because of some hurt inside of them. Right? <laughs>